to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. I'll be reading Galatians 4, verses 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the Gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired Word through the mind and the emotions and the affections of His Apostle, Paul. Father, help me say this text. Help me unfold the intended meaning of Paul. Help us hear. And help us relate so that we walk out of here constantly testing ourselves daily, hating arrogance, pride. Do this in our midst, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's one great, huge threat in every Christian's life of moving away from being alone. Just you and God and sincerely crying out, Abba. Father, like a three or four year old little boy or little girl with daddy or mommy, utter dependence, affection, looking to the hand of the Creator who's all things to you. And that threat is pride, arrogance, the desire 
to want other people to make much of us. Welcome to sinful human nature. In our culture, some people, they score touchdowns or make tackles. And when they do their job, they have to separate from the rest, fold their arms and strut to the crowds, saying, look at me. Praise me. Others, like I was as a baseball player, as a young man, do it quietly. Oh, but it was still the same yearning. Notice that great play. Say, good job. And I lived for it. Seemed humble. Thank you. I lived for it. Some do it quietly. Others do it the Donald Trump way. Toot their own horn. And the temptation is no less true in religion. Please notice my faith. Please notice me, how I excel at Christianity. Notice, see how smart I am in theology. See how well I pray. See how well I preach. See how beyond the normal Christian giving, I give lots of money. I've got my name on numbers of buildings. See how I volunteer my time. Only we know. Others, we may hide it really well. We know what drives us or doesn't. Why is that? Because that's the nature of sin. The nature of, this, of sin which is in every human being, and then when you're born again, that nature, that desire is still there. It says, praise me. Look at me. In the Gospel, of Jesus Christ demands the exact opposite. Praise God for all things. For that great play. For business acumen and doing it honestly and making money for a faithful sermon. Praise God who gets all the glory because that's the truth. And this is why the true Gospel of Jesus Christ is so unappetizing to the human soul if it has not been penetrated by the Holy Spirit causing that person to see the joy and the happiness and the freedom there is in turning away from that desire of praise me, that desire of self-sufficient independence. I did it to three-year-old Abba, Daddy, 
total dependence on God. Total dependence on His hand out of mercy and grace in any fruit we see in our lives. The flesh, what the Gospel demands, and what the Spirit is producing. They're in juxtaposition to one another. You see, because God has ordained to save boastful, whether they do it quietly or strut around a football field with their arms folded, He has ordained to save many by infiltrating our hearts with the Spirit to see the all-praiseworthiness of Jesus Christ. And yet, He is ordained to not take us home, but to leave us here with our remaining sinful desires. And therefore, the life of a Christian is the constant battle against that desire to be acknowledged. To be praised. And to the extent we're moving and acting and yearning for that is to the extent we are not trusting in God's Word. It is stunning the way Jesus said this in John 5, 44. How can you believe? You've got to wipe away so much of what faith has come to mean, which is not Bible. It doesn't mean, how can you adhere to some doctrinal truths? He means, how can you, Abba, Daddy, three-year-old, trust in God for all things? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? You can't. You can't. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Hey, there's a situation. That's the battle of the Christian life. And whether the first century or today, no wonder self-centered, arrogant, boastful preachers find a place within the hearts of many churchgoers that's very vulnerable to grab them and move them away from trusting in God's grace to jumping over to relying upon their own works instead of remaining in the Gospel. Instead of remaining in the profound mercy and grace of God. Which, to the extent that's happening, all grounds for boasting are removed. The only boasting that remains according to Paul is a boasting in the bloody, gruesome slaughter of Jesus on a cross because He 
was my substitute. And in that alone, Paul says, I'll boast. That pride that we're all familiar with, it's in us. That, that praise me, affirm me, notice me, that is at the very center of the theology of the Judaizers that we have been seeing. That's their message. And so before we look at this text, remember the big picture of the letter. Paul's responding to these professing Christians, Jews from Jerusalem, who say, Paul got most of it right in Jesus' death and resurrection right, and you got to believe in Jesus. But he left some things out. Because I'm going to tell you, they were offended that their Judaism, their badges that they kept to, that made them distinct from the world, that that means nothing, Paul? Oh, it got their pride. And so, they want to persuade non-Jews, Gentiles, who come to faith in Jesus. Okay, you can be saved, but you can't remain a non-Jew. So Paul writes, and so far throughout this letter, he has said in chapter 1, I'm amazed you're so quickly deserting God for a different gospel. But that's his way of saying to them, Stop it. Stop listening to these men. And then he argues for it throughout the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he does it again. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. In other words, in other words that's a rhetorical way of saying, Stop it. Quit entertaining their theology. And then he argues for it. And we saw last week, and that last argument is, if you go ahead and obey them and buy their doctrine, you are turning back to demonic influence. And so now, in verse 12, he comes back up again with an imperative, a command. And here it is. Galatians, become as I am. Verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, I beg you, become as I am. Why? Because, that's what for means, I also have become as you are. Now I wonder if you've been paying attention to this letter. If it's obvious to you what he means by that. Because I think it's pretty darn plain in following the context of the letter. I, Paul, a Pharisee, a Jew of Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, I excelled all my countrymen. I was so good in my boastful Judaism, I persecuted the church. In other words, Galatian Gentiles, I came to you far, far off to your region, and I put aside all of my cultural Jewish distinctives and became like you. 
And I ate bacon sandwiches with you. And I did it in order that you will be saved from your sin. I did it to win you to God's grace. That's what He means. I became like you, Gentiles. Do you understand the profundity of that? Galatians. What it is for me, a first century Jew. It's ironic to Paul that they are now on the verge of becoming Jews in order for the motivation of winning God's favor. When all along, Paul became a non-Jew, a Gentile, in order to win them to God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's point here is Galatians, I became like you. Do the same. Become like me. Trust in no worldly papers of your birth or of your circumcision or any religious denomination. Any pedigree. There's nothing in me. But it's pure grace. Become like me. Become free. Become Galatians 2.20 For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. What I mean is this. I have been crucified. The, the law, my performance, my performance, can I say it again? My performance boasting has been demonstrated in the cross. The law and I had a relationship and it was God's curse. Want to boast? That's what I'll boast in. For I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now go on living in the body, in the flesh. I am living by trust. Faith. A relationship of I trust You, Daddy, Abba, Father. Trust. Faith. In the Son of God who gave Himself up for me. I, Paul, went from Jewish cultural distinctives to Christ. Galatians, become like me. That's his first argument right there. And then if you look at the rest of the passage, from 12 to 20, the end of verse 12 all the way to 20, it's his second argument for his imperative. Become like I am. And in short, let me summarize it. And we'll briefly look at it. He says to them, Galatians, you were, you were at one time so happy that the Gospel came to you. You loved me, Paul. Because I brought the message of Jesus Christ to you. That's how it was. Do you remember? And that's a good thing for each of us in here. 
depending on where you're at right now, do you remember when it was easy to cry out, no one's looking, Appa, Daddy? Do you remember? But now, (laughs) I have become your enemy. And so Paul then, he gets... He lays it out. I'll tell you about these men. Their motive, their intentions in courting you are really bad. They are using you as a means to their goal of praise me. They're not out for your good. But on the other hand, Galatians, I am out for your good. Their courtship, their love is fake in contrast to my love, my intentions, which are for your ultimate good. That's what he says. So, let's start with the end of verse 12. Read through verse 14. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the Gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, messenger of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. So what's He saying? He's saying, you really loved me. You loved what I brought to you. The message. And even though I preached that Gospel to you in and with a disgusting sickness, which is a trial to you, you did not, this is what He says literally, you did not spit me out in disgust. Now, bodily ailment, you look at throughout the centuries, the commentators, everyone throws in their idea into the ring, and what is it? And you get stuff like epilepsy or malaria or a disgusting pussy eye disease, etc. We don't know for sure. But one thing is clear. This wasn't just that he's under the weather, therefore he's got to remain in the region, which ha- happened. He remained in the region longer is what he's saying. But it was a disgusting visual ailment. And Paul says, you did not, which would be normal, to almost want to throw up. Because, he says, my sickness, it was a trial to you. And you didn't spit me out. But instead, you received me. As the messenger of God, as an angel of God. You receive me as if I were Jesus Himself. Because you were so blessed. That's His point. Galatians, do you remember? Do you remember when you heard the message that the Holy Spirit fell upon you? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by the hearing faith. Do you remember that? You loved me so, so much because of the message. What happened? You saw it. 
You know those magic eye books? You know, it looks like just nothingness, and someone sits there. I remember my first experience at a poolside, and I see it, I see it, they say. What, what? 15, 20 minutes, I can't see it, I can't see it. It's a good illustration between those who are born again and those aren't. He says, as I preached, not everyone in your towns and cities did. But church, you saw it. You received the Spirit with a heart of faith. You so loved me back then. That's what he says. Now now get the flow. All of that, when I brought the message to you, year and a half, two, three years ago, for the first time, all of that was true. That was the case. And now, he goes into 1560. I have become your enemy. Start with verse 15. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible back then, you would have gorged out your eyes. And you would have given them to me. That's how much you loved me. That's how much you loved the message I brought to you. Have I now, since then, become your enemy by telling you the truth? His point is, this flock of men professing Christian Jews, coming behind Paul through and in the churches and teaching and persuading, they are controlling, they are manipulative, and they have been turning the Galatians away from Paul. And away from Paul's Gospel saying, he, he left out some stuff. What He gave you was incomplete. And we're promising you the full thing. You want final salvation, don't you? You want to be justified in the end, don't you? You want to be saved. You can't remain a Gentile. You must convert to Judaism as you embrace Jesus, a Jew. And then you'll get it. Side by so doing, we've already seen Paul's had to be defensive in giving his biography. They had to tell untruths about him. Move their hearts away from the apostle. And they're entertaining it. It is so hard for us, prideful, independent, self-sufficient human beings to truly believe the simple gospel, a free gift of salvation, period. Yeah. Here's a large picture of the text at this point before we move on. From 12 to 16, become as I am. 
because I also became a Jew. And then, there, in 13 to 16, his main point, yes, you used to love me, but now he, he brings, you are turning away from me and the true gospel. Which leads into 17 to 20. You're turning away. Even though that's true, nevertheless, unlike me, these Judaizers are using you as a stepping stone to their own pride. On the other hand, I'm only seeking your welfare. Galatians. That's what he says. Read 17 18 with me. They, these Judaizers, these men, they make much of you. They're good salesmen. They know how to schmooze you. They know how to go to a bar and pick up women, to use an analogy. They know how to get what they want. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. Okay, stop. This is a reason, Paul's saying, stop listening to him. Become as I am. He says, the Judaizers, literally, they're zealous for you. Yeah, they make much of you, but it's not in an honorable way. This is why I use the analogy of men and women. It's not honorable in their courtship of you. Actually, they, they, they got a motive. They, they wish to, to, to close you out, to shut you out, so that you will then end up seeking them out. Yeah, they're on their best behavior. Yes, they are courting you. But as a father may say, their goal is not good. Through words, here Paul says, they're shutting you out. Paul means, with their theology, they are threatening you that you're going to be cut off, shut out from the blessing. That you're going to be excluded from justification if you don't submit to Jewish law. Then, out of confusion and wringing your hands and fear, you will be banging their door down saying, okay, okay, we will be circumcised. You will seek them that's Paul says that's their motive it's what they're doing the Judaizers according to Paul are motivated by their desire to be sought out to be by others praised made 
much of. Every Galatian that they could persuade will be another badge on their Jewish shirt of look at how different and distinct we are that somehow makes us worthy of salvation. Because this Gentile became one of us proves it. You got it right. Another affirmation. Our boasting is affirmed by another Galatian. I hope you see. That's what Paul's saying. Listen to how clearly he says it a couple paragraphs later in chapter 6, verse 13. For even those who are circumcised, they do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Paul is going to motive. He is attacking their motive. And he says their motive is their desire for their own arrogance and their own pride and their own boasting in persuading others to affirm how special they are by becoming one of them. Then he goes on in verse 18. The Galatians, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. I mean, it's good for a man to court a woman when he's got honorable goals. It is good. And, and not only when I'm present with you to put on a show, but when I'm also absent. So Paul says here, in stark contrast to these Judaizers, I don't just appear loving when I'm with you. When I'm not with you, even like right now, with the tone of voice I'm using in this letter, I care for your ultimate well-being. My courtship of you, Galatians, it is honorable. It is sincere. He does admit, I want to court you. He does admit, I want to win you. He does say, I entreat you. Become as I am but not for my own boastful arrogance. It's because there's only one true Gospel, Galatians, and hell is real. Heaven is real. Your sin is damnable. And only through Jesus the Savior, by grace alone, through faith alone, can you enjoy God forever in the resurrection. That's the only way. So I'm courting you, not as a means to meet some end that I have. I, Paul, have my end met. I'm in the river of God's delight in Jesus. I brought you to it. And yes, it feels really good when others come into the river of Jesus' delight. And now you're starting to climb out of the river? It bothers me, he said. And it should bother all of us Christians. 
So I have a motive. I want to experience an unimaginable happiness by finding out you have finally shooed these guys away. Embrace this glorious river who is Jesus. He's got a motive. But his motive is not to get something he didn't already have. His motive is because of the joy I have in Christ, overflowing it through preaching to you, through persuading you, doubles the joy I have. And he admits it. I'm after you. I'm after you. So Paul's concise point here is become as I am. Because I continue to love you truly. I love you for your good. Not as a means to my ends. That's what the Judaizers are doing. And then he says in verse 19, get that flow, to be present with you, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He says, I'm like a mother with labor pangs again. I've done it once. It's like, it's like I've got to do it again. But Paul wants to point, I do have a mother's love for you. And he uses that word, again, which clearly implies in the context of the letter that they were going the wrong way in entertaining this twist on the Gospel. They're going away from the simplicity of Galatians 2.20. Been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, I live day, and I live day, and I live day after day after day. Yet not I, but Christ in me, my Savior clothed in His righteousness, the One who propitiated all of my sins, the One who fulfilled the law on my behalf. I live in Him. And they're moving away from it. Here I, Paul, am again going through labor pains for you so that Christ will be formed in you. This is Paul's theology, right? This is Romans 8. So that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That's a process. That's a work going on. So what does He mean? How will the Galatians or you, me, be being formed in Christ to the image of Christ? Or that Christ will be being formed in us? Well, I think the answer is crystal clear from the context of Galatians. Remember, a few sentences earlier in verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul said, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, causing us, like 
Jesus, the eternal Son, always has, causing us, because of His Spirit in us, to cry with Him, Abba, Father. Okay, good. Christ formed in us. So, that's Paul. It's, it's the work of the Spirit. But remember what he said in chapter 3, the open, did you receive the Spirit? And by the legalism, works of the law, and therefore God gave you something? Or was it by hearing the mercy of Christ, the message of the Gospel, with a heart of faith? Faith. Okay, they're there. They're there. For Paul, the work of the Spirit forming Christ in you, and our daily walking in faith, Meaning, trusting God. Meaning, trusting what He said. Meaning, the Bible commands, promises. This says, I'm for you. I give freely to you. And trust, therefore, moves. And it acts. That's why Paul says in Chapter 5, verse 5. For here, here's Christianity. Through the Holy Spirit, by our trusting faith, we ourselves eagerly wait. It's not yet. Second coming hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for the hope of righteousness by trusting Him, by the Spirit. That's Paul. That's how Christ, Galatians, is to be being formed in you. And the doctrine of the Judaizers was precisely turning them away from that lifestyle to trust in what they can do for God instead of daily trusting what God will do mercifully for you. That's his point. And then he ends with verse 20. I wish I could be present with you right now and change my tone of voice. Parents, you ever felt that way? (laughs) I wish I could change my tone right now. For I am Perplexed about you. Why does he say that? Oh, if I were there, I would just change my tone. No, his whole point is this. The implication is because you will have listened and repented so that I could change my tone of voice. You would have changed your attitude. You would have gotten rid of these Judaizers. Okay. So, here's the lesson, I think, for us. Because what we have laid out here is pride, sinful desire of praise me, make much of me, I want to boast, 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 versus Gospel joy. Versus living like an absolutely dependent three-year-old. Appa, Daddy. That's what's laid out before us.
So, the first implication of that is this. To the extent that any of us Christians, as we walk our lives, to the extent that we get irritated for not being praised by others for our service to Christ, is to the extent at that time and in that way that we are not walking in grace. We are not trusting in God's grace to us. You see, if before coming to Christ, you were used to loving and living unabashedly for the praise of men in sports as an athlete or in business and doing it well or with your intellect in academics or you were just a sweet, compassionate person but you knew internally you just live for the praise of being so compassionate. Just fill it in. And that's who you were before Christ. And then, as a Christian, it's only transferred with, you know, to God be the glory, you know. We put terms on it. But you know your heart then at that moment you know you're not living in the grace that is the Gospel, in the trust that is the crucified Christ for you, for me. This passage is a constant warning for every one of us to constantly check our hearts to see if our service to others is flowing out of our love for God's grace meeting their needs? Or is it flowing out of a desire to be noticed, loved, acknowledged, and praised by others? And secondly, this passage, it cries out to us who are believers, return to your first love. Return. Remember. That's Paul's appeal. Galatians, have you so quickly forgotten? Can you remember two and a half years ago? How most of you could barely sleep because... The sun's up. You couldn't wait to get up and wring your hands. I can't believe it. I'm a a Christian. Is Paul still in in town? I want to hear more. Remember how much you loved Jesus. Remember how easy, because it was the work of the Spirit, that you prayed when no one's looking. Just like a three-year-old who doesn't think about it. Abba. Father, remember how you thought of me? You would have gorged out your eyeballs and given them to me. That's how much the Gospel, that's how much Jesus meant to you. Remember your first love. Now, why does He do that? 
I think one of the reasons he does it, and I think a lot of us who have been Christians for decades, I hope we know this. Because you will always find yourself needing the exhortation of Jesus in Revelation. Come back to your first love. We know what it is to become hardened and, and, and dry. And I think Paul says this because it's one of the key ways to fight sloth and legalism. I am just going through religious motions. This cuts the heart out of it. The Bible is profound and it's infinitely deep. Yet it continuously points us again and again to the simple reality of Christ in you. That's your hope of glory. Abba, Father. So whether it's right now or other times, have you ever experienced drying up? And to ever say, Abba, Father, seems so fake to you. Because it wasn't your heart. Go back through your life. Look. Look what happened. Go back to the beginning. Look at that golden era. Faith. Trust. Joy in Jesus. Loving the Word of God. Loving church. Loving being preached to. Loving talking about the Lord. To others, how he was powerfully shaping your life. And now look down that road and you'll see something changed. It was slowly changing. And you look around what was changing, you start to see you're slowly fitting back into the world, into worldliness. No longer. Did you feel like an alien and an exile in this world, in this culture? The Bible was becoming dry and prayer was becoming boring. But I say to you then, if sorry, if you Truly love Jesus. Remember. Use it. Use your past with Jesus. As Paul used the past of the Galatians. Remember. And cast off legalism. Cast off worldliness and walking in darkness. And cry out, Abba, Father, renew, renew in me a right spirit that sees clearly. He loves a broken, He loves the heart of sinners who are contrite. Open my eyes, Father. 
Open the eyes of my heart this week as I endeavor to open the Word of God and commune with You. Cause me, cause me, make me taste and see the truth. Oh, Holy Spirit, do it. Let me see the reality that You are more desirable than all the world. Than my wife. Than my husband. Than my children. Than my job. You, Abba, Father, let me boast, Father, let me boast in Your Son and His bloody death for a wretched sinner like me alone. Oh, Father, do it. Do this work. We all need it to one extent or another and some of us in here need this work in a profound, life-changing way. Father, I beg You, do it. Father, to the glory of Your name, You put away sin. To the glory of Your name, You revive the downtrodden and the hard-hearted. To the glory of the name of Jesus, You find delight in reflecting it in our renewed, quiet, closet adoration of You. And we are desperate for the work of Your Spirit. So do it. Do it, Father. To the glory of Jesus. Amen.